Gene editing, a potential vaccine for HIV, and hormone replacement therapy are just a few of the breakthroughs that have come out of OHSU's West Campus, home to the Oregon National Primate Research Center and the Vaccine and Gene Therapy Institute. OHSU employees will have a chance to tour the campus later this month. It's Tuesday, September 12th, and this is OHSU Week. I'm Patrick Holmes. Kelsey Hewalt spoke with Diana Gordon, Education Outreach Specialist for ONPRC. Well, Diana, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. So can you tell us to start a little bit more about what you do at OHSU? Yes, my role here at the Primate Center is um, to engage with the community in any way possible. We um, offer a a large tour program here that tours about 4,000 people through the center every year um, and many, many opportunities for students and adults to become involved um, with our center and learn more about it. So since you've joined OHSU, have you seen a difference in the relationship with the community? I like to think so, and of course, I like to blame my programs for that that change. Uh, we tend to have a, just an excellent relationship with the community and um, are, are happy to invite folks in here to see what we do, learn about what we do, and uh, that's part of the reason that we have the annual public tour, but also the opportunity for any group of 10 or more persons, age 10 or older, to come visit our center and learn a little bit more about biomedical research, what it is, what it entails, why the animals are essential to our progress, and all the rules and regulations under which we operate. So you mentioned these tours. Um, I know we've done a few for employees, and we have another one coming up on September 28th. What would employees get to see on that? We are very excited to welcome our colleagues from the main campus and waterfront campus out to the west campus uh, to talk with our scientists, to talk with our animal care folks, and to have a tour of our breeding colony. So these are sort of the the three main areas that we're going to focus on for the folks that come out here. Uh, Hopefully we'll get a big turnout as we have for the other two. We generally get about 100 people on these tours, and the docents who I spoke of earlier are very helpful because what we want to do is ensure that every visitor gets access to somebody here who is uh, either an employee and or a volunteer who can help answer their questions um, should they have them as we as we travel around the center. Nice. And what have you heard from employees on the past two that we've done? How did they oh, react they to love it? them. They love them. They're so uh, excited to come here and, and learn about it. They often will say, oh my goodness, I had no idea that the Primate Center was even there, which is disappointing to me as the outreach coordinator, <laughs> but shows how much more work, you know, there is there's yet to be done. Uh, but, and, and sometimes folks are, are a little bit ambivalent about the research that is conducted. Biomedical research has, you know, a lot of feelings surrounding it, particularly as concerns the animals that are our partners in this research. And uh, I, almost all of the time, uh, people who are on the fence, who are a little concerned about it, will leave with their concerns assuaged and um, with a positive feeling about the work that's being done here. So um, don't not come because you're concerned. You're the very person who should be coming. 
Can you give us a, just some stats on how many people are here, number of animals, mm -hmm. stuff like that? Sure. Um, on our West Campus, we employ about 500 OHSU employees. Um, we have about 400 of them at the Primate Center, one of the institutes out here on the West Campus. And our sister institute, the Vaccine and Gene Therapy Institute, employs about another 100 folks. Uh, many of those are duly appointed into the Primate Center, so we're very closely associated with, with the Vaccine and Gene Therapy Institute. Um, as far as animals go, we have right around 5,000 monkeys on our campus. Most of them are rhesus macaques. Um, that is our animal model of choice here at the Primate Center. Um, anatomically and physiologically nearly identical to people. Um, experience many of the same health issues we experience. And so a really, really great model for the sorts of questions we're striving to answer here. Um, as well, we normally will have probably about 2,000 or so animals in our rodent colony. And the rodent colony is here to serve as, as a sort of a training ground for scientists as they attempt to address questions um, that will eventually be uh, modeled in the monkey. Um, can you give us just kind of a quick rundown of all of the different research happening out here? Sure. Um, there are about 150 or so different protocols ongoing here at any one time. Wow. And I won't list all of them because I don't know all of them. But I can tell you that there are four different scientific divisions represented here at the Primate Center. Scientists here study questions that relate to health of the female reproductive system. We have a division called Reproduction and Developmental Sciences. Um, that division studies things as disparate as contraception and assisted reproductive technologies. So pretty much anything that has to do with a human egg, we're on it. We want to know how we can help people plan their families and how we can help people who are experiencing infertility to um, have families at all. Uh, we also study questions that have to do with premature birth. And uh, Dr. Shukrat Metalipov, who is a scientist in this division, uh, has made many important breakthroughs over the years with respect to uh, embryonic stem cells and accessing those without the need to for a fertilized egg, um, but most recently he was the first person in the United States to show that the CRISPR technology could be used to alter the genetics of a human embryo. So that is pretty exciting stuff coming out of that division. We also have a division of neuroscience, and of course their gig is to look at the brain and basically any sort of um, injury that can occur in the brain, that injury may happen because of uh, genetic disease like Huntington's disease or Batten syndrome or Rett syndrome, all of these are studied here. It may be related to trauma such as stroke. Um, it may be related to aging, which sadly for me, <laughs> the aging brain looks very similar to a damaged brain. Uh, and so we're, we're looking at, at those sorts of things in addition to demyelinating diseases such as multiple sclerosis and also addiction behaviors, um, primarily addiction that is associated with alcohol consumption. Uh, and then we have a division of pathobiology and immunology. And in this division, many of the scientists are duly appointed um, into the Vaccine and Gene Therapy Institute. Uh, and studying vaccine development um, for infectious diseases from um, AIDS to Zika, um, including 
tuberculosis, malaria, West Nile virus, chikungunya fever, all of these things are being studied in uh, that division. And then finally, the division of cardiometabolic health that is looking at how uh, what we expose ourselves to during the course of our lifetimes may affect our genes in a way that is heritable to future generations, primarily around the issues of cardiac health and obesity and type 2 diabetes. How long has West Campus been out here? The Oregon National Primate Research Center actually began as the Oregon Regional Primate Research Center and was an initiative um, from the federal government uh, back in the late 50s, early 60s. And so um, at that point, the federal government said, wow, we need to set up you know, a, uh, some sort of resource for scientists who require non-human primates as animal models. And they um, set up the Primate Center program. So we are actually one of seven national primate research centers. Of course, we were the first to open, and that makes us the best. Um, about 20 years or so ago, we affiliated with OHSU, um, although we had been loosely affiliated with OHSU for many years before that because each of the primate centers was required to affiliate with a, an institute of higher learning in that way. Um, we became an institute under the umbrella of OHSU about 20 years ago. Cool. So how can people come out here um, and get a tour and be part of this? Any group of 10 or more, age 10 or older, can schedule a tour through my office. I'm Diana Gordon. My name and phone number and email address are plastered all over the Primate Center website. Um, so uh, yeah, just, just contact me. There's a, a tour form on our website that folks can fill out, or they can just contact me directly either by phone or email. Happy to arrange those tours. And if you want to come to the September 28th event, you're welcome to just go register on the O2 calendar. Just go to September 28th and click on the register now button. Right. We hope to see you there. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Kelsey also spoke with Chris Coleman, research assistant professor and head of the behavioral services unit. To start, can you just tell us a little bit about what you do at OHSU? Uh, sure. I oversee the behavioral services unit at uh, in the Division of Comparative Medicine at the Oregon Primate Center. So you spend a lot of time training the animals and doing work with them. Um, what, how, what does that entail exactly? Training, uh, we use positive reinforcement training to train animals to cooperate with various husbandry and research procedures. And that's one of the things that my unit does. So um, broadly, we oversee, again, behavioral management of the animals. And that is uh, basically how we manage the behavioral and psychological needs of the animal. In behavioral management, basically what we're trying to do is to uh, help reduce stress for the animals, help the animals better cope with the stresses that they have. We're obviously not going to eliminate all stress for the animals. We don't eliminate stress in our own lives, and stress isn't inherently bad. But what we want to do through various behavioral management techniques is to help animals better cope with the stresses that, that they have. Um, we also want to promote species normal behaviors and um, by doing that eliminate undesired behaviors. Uh, and training is one component of behavioral management. Um, here we again use positive reinforcement training which is a type of training in, in which the subject gets 
rewards, reinforcement for doing the behaviors we want them to do. They mm -hmm. don't get punished if they don't do the behavior, they simply don't get a reward. And this type of training has been shown to be very effective for um, all sorts of animals, including people. Um, and so we have a full-time trainer. Uh, she does a lot of work with investigative staff and also our, our um, uh, DCM Division of Comparative Medicine staff to train animals to engage in behaviors like moving from one part of their enclosure to another or remaining stationary at the front of the cage to get an injection or um, to give a blood draw, to turn for vaginal um, checks, to check for menses, those sorts of behaviors. Um, she is only one person and we have 5,000 monkeys, so she doesn't do all of the training, but she also trains people to train um, the animals. Very cool. So you mentioned there are other components to this. What are those? Uh, one of the main components is socialization. Uh, monkeys are social animals, um, and so providing them a social environment is one of the best things we can do to promote their psychological well-being. And so what that involves is, um, is placing animals either in groups or in pairs. Um, so here at the center we have, again, about 5,000 monkeys, uh, about 60% of those animals live outdoors in large groups um, or medium-sized groups. Um, and the remaining animals live indoors, but we still want them to have a social companion. So we pair house them or let two animals live in two cages to which they have full access. And that uh, is, um, let's say challenging, but there's, uh, just like you couldn't take any two people and put them in a room and expect them to get along forever. Um, same with monkeys, they have uh, strong preferences, they don't always get along, and so uh, w my staff, my team, spend a lot of time picking animals that they think will will play nicely together and um, putting them together. And then for our group housed animals, we also work with the vet staff and the husbandry staff to try to ensure that our groups are getting along. Um, Rhesus macaques in particular are known to be a somewhat aggressive species. They have a despotic dominant style that, uh, and they um, often use aggression in, in their dominance. Um, of course, we don't want them to, to hurt each other, so uh, we spend time watching the animals and, and um, if an animal is being overly aggressive, we might remove that animal from the group, or if an animal is getting um, picked on, say, by a, a, another animal, we, we would attend to that animal as well. So, And we work closely, again, with other units to, um, to try to pick the best animals to go into a group, and um, we've done research to try to figure out, you know, what is, what makes uh, one group successful where another group might have a lot of problems and be very aggressive and have to be uh, disbanded. So. So those are, that's another part of what we do. Um, and then environmental enrichment is another big part of behavioral management. And uh, environmental enrichment includes things like the toys we give the animals or swings, um, television, radio, uh, pools. We give uh, some of our animals pools, those sorts of things. Um, devices or items that are meant to increase the behavioral diversity of the animals and, and also to give them a sense of choice and control because having a sense of control over one's environment is very important for promoting psychological well-being and people who are depressed often 
report that they feel like they have no control over their environment. So we, by giving animals different devices and through positive reinforcement training and, and all of these various things, we can uh, provide the animals with more of a sense of control over their environment, a sense of choice, they can use the devices or not, and um, help promote psychological well-being. Can you explain the regulations and protections that are out there for the animals? Sure. There are two main protections, I guess. One is the Animal Welfare Act. The Animal Welfare Act calls for um, any center that uses non-human primates um, to have a, a plan to in, uh, to ensure the psychological well-being of the animals. It's somewhat vague. Um, there isn't a lot of verbiage in there. Um, they do state that animals, social animals, should be socially housed unless there's a medical reason, if an animal is sick or if an animal is overly aggressive, um, then they, they wouldn't obviously necessarily be socially housed. Or if there's an, a, um, a scientifically justified reason for the animal being single housed that's approved by the Institutional Animal Care and Use Committee. Um, but if an animal doesn't fall into one of those categories, the expectation is that it would be socially housed. Um, so that's what's covered under the um, under the Animal Welfare Act. The other group that oversees animal care, uh, or the, the document, would be the Guide to the Care and Use of Laboratory Animals, and that's a that has uh, more specific language about about animal care. Um, it includes more species. The Animal Welfare Act doesn't include rodents, for example, um, but the uh, the guide does. And, and any center or facility that gets federal funding or that is accredited through the through ALAC International, and that's the Association for the Assessment and Accreditation of Laboratory Animal Care, it's kind of a gold standard. Um, any facility that's accredited through ALAC also would need to follow the guide. What was your most exciting like moment of discovery or research that you did? My my background has been in individual differences in temperament or personality or how animals respond to novelty and stresses in their in their lives, and um, and so one thing that we've done is apply those individual differences in temperament to behavioral management. So one thing that we found um, a while ago was that uh, we could use a, a relatively straightforward um, temperament test where we just test an animal's response to novel objects and that predicted how well an animal would do on training. So animals that were very shy, that were, um, uh, that wouldn't go and inspect a new object that we gave them uh, were harder for us to train for relatively straightforward tasks compared to animals that were more uh, outgoing, more exploratory. And that makes sense because if the animal is wary of objects and people, then they don't work well with the trainer. But I, I think, up, up, again, applying um, this idea of individual differences in temperament to how we can manage the behavioral needs of the animals to me was very exciting. What's one of the more challenging parts of your job? One thing that's challenging is, uh, again, we spend a lot of time uh, putting animals together to um, make pairs or in training. Training is a great tool, but it's also very time intensive. Mm -hmm. um, and so we spend a lot of time doing that, and sometimes we will work with an animal for a long time and then the animal has been 
say move to a new group or or move to a project or something like that and that can be that can be challenging Hmm. um you know having put all this time in and then and then having that animal leave yeah um that doesn't happen uh as much as it used to um we have more safeguards in place now um but uh that was very challenging um another thing that's challenging is is uh public perception when people are are very um anti animals in research and and um are very vocal about it you know my my team and and everybody here at the at least in most people here at the center um care a great deal about the animals and i think sometimes there's a perception that we don't and when things go wrong people take it really personally and it's hard to see that out in the in the press as people here being careless and and not careless but you know callous and and the evil scientist sort of of thing when when people here really truly care and and people are devastated when when things happen that that were unexpected so um that that's challenging i think Well, thank you so much. Okay, thanks. OHSU Week is a production of Strategic Communications. This episode was produced and edited by Kelsey Hewell. I'm Patrick Holmes. See you next week.